All right, hey, grab your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 12, and then go ahead and stand to your feet. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. This is the word of God. That's my bride right there, just so you know. Let's pray. God, we just heard your word read. Now we want to be uh, encouraged by it. We want uh, strength to run this race that you uh, tell us to run in faith, by grace through faith. God, just I pray that you would put endurance and strength back into your people today. You put hope in your people today, that you would give them the, um, the energy by your spirit through believing the gospel again, that uh, they would leave this place with that much more excitement in what you're doing in their life and, and excitement for the promises to come and that, Lord, you would supernaturally fix our eyes on all that we have to expect uh, by all of your promises. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. You guys uh, see those movies where um, you have the main character that that is been training for a while, and he's finally in the fight, and and he's and he's he's being beat down, and it looks like he's gonna lose, and maybe there's no hope for him, and maybe he's on the ground, and he's just struggling, and then all of a sudden it like switches to slow mo, and 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 you start to see inside of the character's mind. And you start to see him have flashbacks of his training and his, 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 his coach, like, saying these words that are just, like, key and core to, like, what it means to fight. And, and all of this as he's remembering and as in the background and everything's in slow-mo and the coach and all the people that are cheering him on, they're like, get up, get up. And in slow motion, he's, like, remembering all of those things that he was taught and all of a sudden he starts getting strength again, and he starts standing up again, and he starts to get ready again to fight, and he starts looking at his opponent, opponent, and he's like, okay, all of those reminders now brings me to this point to where I'm ready again to fight. That's exactly what the book of Hebrews is doing in this moment. He's telling the Hebrews, now after all that I've said, After all of this good gospel news that I've given you, now get up and run again. But the problem is, is if you haven't been running for a while, you kind of forget, what does it mean to run? What does it even look like? What are the the basics and the mechanics? 
So you have to kind of remember where you came from. You have to remember who your master is, who, what your training was, and what are the basic essentials of that. And I think that in this passage, we have the author basically saying, all right, here's what it looks like. You're going to start running again. Here are the basics. And I think it's all rooted in gospel. And I want to show you that. It's not in our own strength that we're going to read any of these or obey any of these things that we're going to read. It is by grace, through faith, in who Jesus is, who our master is, and who he is as the ultimate faith racer. My mouth got dry really fast. Um, so it says in uh, verse 12 and in in thir- 12 and 13, therefore lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So continually, this, we have to always remember when we read a passage like this, it doesn't stand alone. We have to remember all the stuff that we've read before. So what is he getting at? Well, remember in verse 3, he says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So he's saying, all right, remember Jesus, remember the gospel, remember who he is, and now he's, he's, uh, he just got finished telling him, don't, don't be weary from your trials. Remember that even God, God, God uses even your trials to strengthen you and train you. And now he's saying, all right, I've given you all that you need to run. Now get up and run. And he's saying, take your drooping hands. That's, that's a picture of a tired body. And your weak knees, and you're just like scraping by. And then he tells them to take what is lame and not put it out of joint, but rather be healed and to make straight paths for our feet. Well, what does that mean? To make straight paths for your feet means to look forward and to consider the path before you and clear out all the stuff that's in the way. It, it means to, to, to get all the, the sticks and the rocks and, and things in the path and, and kick it out of the way and get it out of the way so that when you start running again, it's straightforward, so to speak. So he's saying, do all that you need to do based on all that I just told you and start running again but all based on the master's training. So he just spent 11 chapters, because we've, we've been going through this awesome letter to the Hebrews, and we've been reminded of what? Jesus is better. Jesus is better. Over and over and over. He's better than anything that we can be tempted to turn back to. And now he's bringing it to the real application. And he's going to say some things that are very practical and even um, maybe even hard to chew on, especially if we take it um, out of its context and just read it by itself. We have to remember all that we've read before. He's giving them all that they need to endure, all that they need to run this faith race. And he's reminding them, all right, here's what it looks like. And I want to show you that all of these things that he says These are actually, they don't come from our own strength. They're actually the qualities of Jesus himself. So if we're going to run a faith race, faith in Jesus, 
that we have to remember that, that none of these things are going to come from us because they aren't our qualities. They're our master's qualities. So in, in every point that we're going to make, hopefully I'm able to show you that it's actually all gospel. All of these things that are coming from this text are gospel and that the, the thrust comes from the gospel. The, the strength comes from the gospel in, anchored into the person of Jesus. So let's uh, look back at our text and remember what, what he's saying. Um, I'm going to break up in this, this text into three parts. I'm going to show you that, uh, remind you that who a faith racer is. So when you remember your training... You kind of just remember the basics of what, what is a boxer or, or what is a uh, kickboxer. You have to like remember the core essentials of what it even means. So I think he draws out three things in this, in this text. Number one, faith racers reach down and pull others up. Number two, uh, faith racers reach out and pull others in. And three, faith racers reach in and pull others out. And I'll unpack that as we go. So number one, faith racers reach down and pull others up. So verses 12 and 13, again, as I said, is, it's an analogy of a weary body. He pulls out this, he gives you this picture of a body that's just like barely making it. And then he, after he tells them to consider Jesus, now he's saying, get up and prepare to run again. Take those drooping hands and lift them. Take those weak knees and strengthen them and run. Uh, also, but th- there's two layers to this, I think. Last week, Sam covered the first layer, which is to the individual. So you, as an individual, get up and run. But there's a second layer to this that I think is really important, and that is collectively. That we, as a church, run. And so it's really interesting that if you look at this passage in the Greek, it actually doesn't say lift your drooping hands or your weak knees. It actually says the drooping hands and the weak knees. It's very reminiscent of Isaiah 35, 44 through 5, and I'll just read it to you. It says, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come to save you. So the idea is to look around you and go, it's not just me who has this problem of weakness and discouragement. I look around me and I see it all over the place. And you begin to kind of, change your mindset to not just my need to run, but what it's going to take for my brothers and sisters around me to run. So I really do think that this whole section is kind of like a body life section. And there's a couple more reasons why I think that. In verse 14, it actually says that um, without holiness and peace, that no one will see the Lord is what it says. No one will see the Lord. That's not just a reminder that I won't see the Lord without holiness. Then nobody will. Nobody around me, nobody in this church will see Jesus without holiness. And in verse 15, there's another reason why I think this this is a body life passage. See where it says, see to it? 
that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That word, see to it, or that phrase, see to it, is actually one word in the Greek. Um, it, is for, it is the word for overseeing. It's what, the, it's what a pastor does. It, it's, basically, it's basically taking upon your a responsibility, upon yourself, to, to oversee the flock. To look around you and go, who is here and what kind of needs are here? And you watch out for one another. So as he's saying, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Read that. Yes, that's, that's my job for me. But it's also my job to watch out for you. So we'll unpack all of those as we go. But um, verse 12 and 13, I think it's really important that we read this <clears throat> again through the lenses of the gospel where it tells us to take what is lame and not put it out of jo- at a joint, but rather heal or restore. Isn't that who Jesus is? It, isn't that the identity of our master, of our Lord and our Savior? Consider Jesus. Just like in verse 3, he's like, consider Jesus. I think that we have to continue to anchor it in what he's been saying. He's saying, consider Jesus. And so when he says, strengthen the weak knees and, and look around you and strengthen those around you, he's really just saying, do what Jesus does. Do what Jesus does. He is a restorer. He is a healer. When he looks at you, he sees you through the eyes of a doctor and the great physician that he is. So, so if we're in Christ, which we are, if you put your faith in him, you're in him, you have to see yourself as identifying with him and he is a restorer. That is who your master is. That, that is how he's training you based on who he is. And if we belong to him, which we do, that is who we are. We began to build our identity in who he is. So if he's a, if, if this is how he runs the race of faith, this is how we run the race of faith in him, by being a restorer, by being a healer, by being the one who looks around us and we become like Jesus when we reach down and pick people up. That is who we are. See, okay, again, we can read this and have confidence in ourselves that we can do this. We can't. Faith means putting your confidence in Christ. So our confidence to be able to, that's a big task. Look around you and pull other people up. We're trying to just pull ourselves up. This is impossible. We can't do this, you guys, not without the spirit of God and not without believing the gospel. But it is something that we're called to do. It's something that is a part of who we are. Consider Jesus. He didn't leave you in your weakness and in your sin, did he? He found you weak and helpless. And he gave you his mercy. And he, and he helped and reached down and pulled you up and saved you. There's people all around you that have needs. 
There's people all around you that are in this state of discouraged and ready to call it quits and ready to throw in the towel. They're, they're, they're all over the place. They're all, they're all around us, you guys. We need so bad to believe the gospel and to see ourselves and identify ourselves with Jesus so that when we look around, we actually have the strength to reach down and pull pe- people up. It does, the strength doesn't exist apart from faith in him. So what kinds of things are people dealing with? Just think about it. Think about it now. Think about it um, later on today or this week. Who has God sovereignly put in your life Or you can just be like, I am in Christ a restorer and a healer and one who puts strength back into weakness and one who lifts up. People are confused around us. People are are discouraged about the trials that they're going through. The confusion that they feel about what's going on in the world, who they are how to even view themselves. We have people with real serious questions and they don't know where to take them. And those questions, maybe they might have some shame attached to those questions that if I bring this up, somebody's gonna look at me and, and think differently of me and so they just keep it all in. And they don't experience the healing of Jesus through us. As the church, we have to be intentional about this. You know, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. You know why? Because when you admit that you're not okay, that is when you let Jesus in, even through someone else that God has put in your life. That's when you experience the healing of Jesus to restore you, to pick you back up, to strengthen you again. Don't try to do it alone. Let people in. We as a church really should be the most understanding, compassionate, and healing people. We should be. That's what the church should be. But that is a really big should. And that could really weigh you down like, oh, I just need to be this person. No, believe in the gospel. Believe the gospel. That's who Jesus is. And just live out of that. So, faith racers reach down and pull others up like Jesus. Number two, faith racers also reach out and pull others in. Look at verse 14. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. There's two things that um, I see that the author telling us to pursue here, peace and holiness. I think there's a reason why these are partnered together. They're paired together. Because to be holy is to pursue peace. And to pursue, pursue peace is to be holy. They're paired together for a reason. It just said a few verses earlier that the peaceful fruit of righteousness after we're trained by our Heavenly Father, our loving Father, that through those trials as he's training us, that what's produced out of it is the fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. But it says the peaceful fruit. 
of righteousness. Consider Jesus again. Who is he? He's our, yeah, he's the prince of peace. He is the one who has made peace. He is the, the ultimate peacemaker. The one who told us, hey, blessed are the peacemakers. They're the sons of God. Why does he say that? He himself is the peacemaker, the son of God. So when we're told to be peacemakers, that isn't us going, man, I just need to find it somewhere in here to be strong enough to make peace when there's conflict or when someone hurt me. No, believe the gospel. Because Jesus himself is the one who made peace with us. He took, took our enmity with the Father and our sin, and he died on the cross. He became our propitiation so that there's nothing now between us and the Father anymore, and there can be peace between us and God. So when we're told to strive for peace and holiness, we can read it differently when we consider that we are just to believe the gospel in doing this. Um, this word strive, some people don't like the word strive in the Bible. I can totally understand because, again, it could feel like a heavy burden. So another translation says pursue, but I'm actually going to tell you that neither strive nor pursue is an adequate word. This word is actually usually translated persecute. It's, a, it's an aggressive word. It reminds me of Taco Tuesday when we saw a, a dog uh, chasing after a goose. Who was there for that? It was, it was hilarious. But, like, th- this, is what, this is what it's talking about. This is the kind of um, pursuit that this is telling us to, to, to do with peace with one another. Aggressively go hard after making peace with one another is what it's telling us. The cool thing is, is that the partnership between peace and holiness, making peace is how we are holy. Making peace is how we are holy. And and I think the, the author gives us a really good glimpse when he says, without which no one will see the Lord. Think about that for a minute. Who is Jesus? He is the Holy One. And and in all of eternity, in in eternity future, in in the new heaven and new earth, there will be nothing but holy. The holy, holy, holy God will be there reigning. But anyone who's going to be in his presence at that time also has to be holy. Set apart. And we know how that's possible. It's possible through the gospel. Because God, by his grace, chooses us and sets us apart and makes us holy. But think about, think about what it's going to be like in the new heaven and new earth. In what way is it going to be a, holy, a, a place permeated by holiness? Well, one way is because it's going to be permeated by peace. 
There won't be one moment where one brother turns against another brother. It won't happen because our sin is finally going to be removed. So think about this. The identity of Jesus is that he is a peacemaker. The, the, the ultimate reality of, who, of where we're going to be and who we're going to be for eternity is dwelling in perfect peace. So who you are ultimately is one who dwells in peace and makes peace. That is who you are in Christ because you're in him. And so when Jesus says, um, when he teaches us to pray, um, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done as on earth as it is in heaven, he's asking us to take the ultimate reality of who you are and make it and live it out now. Take the ultimate reality of, of what we're, who we're going to be forever, dwelling in perfect peace and harmony with one another, and live that out. It's taking and believing the gospel and living it out. Also, I just want to point out, too, that holiness isn't just refraining from being bad. It includes that. But if we're going to find the strength to obey this, to pursue and follow hard after holiness, we're going to have to realize that it's actually sharing in Jesus' holiness. It actually just said that in the passage earlier. It said in verse 10, um, they disciplined us for a time, talking about our earthly fathers, what seemed best to them. He disciplines us, God, for our good, here it is, here's the reason, that we may share his holiness. So being holy or choosing to be holy is actually, uh, it's, it's more like a joyful sliding into identifying with Jesus and who he is. And now you're like, okay, I'm in Christ. I'm, I'm a man, uh, I'm the kind of man he is now. I'm new. I'm not like the old dead man that holds bitterness and unforgiveness. That's not, that's not who he made me to be. I identify with him now, the new and better version of humanity who is a peacemaker. Uh, striving for holiness is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the spirit. So when you hear this, you can't muster it up. You can't create it on your own. That's why the Holy Spirit is given to us because we're not going to be holy without him dwelling in us, working in us, convicting us, giving us the strength and the ability to obey something like this. Everyone lives out of their, what they believe of who they are, their identity. Everybody lives out of their identity. So if we see it in this way, we see that Jesus Christ is holy and we just are brought in to be united with him to share in his holiness. That's the point. So, um, yeah. Faith racers reach out and pull 
people in, those who have hurt us, sinned against us, wronged us. What we do and who we are now is those who are able to, through believing the gospel, we can forgive. We can. You can forgive. Think about how uh, Jesus pursued us with this kind of love, even when we were aggressively opposed and fighting against him. He pursued us in this way. Just to ask you, and, I'm, and I was asking myself this this week, how are you doing in this area? Because if, you're, if, you're, if you've got bitterness and unforgiveness in your heart and you're not able and you're not pursuing peace like this, you're actually not running well. You're actually the one who has the weak knees or, or the one that's drooping. You're, you're, you're not running well if you're not pur- um, pursuing peace like this. Which is why he's telling us, hey, get back to the basics. One of the basics of running is, uh, uh, running the faith race is pursuing peace. Faith racers reach out and pull others in like Jesus. Number three, faith racers reach in and pull others out. Look at verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. You ever been put in charge of something? That someone like puts their arm on your hand on, on your shoulder and says, Ryan, see to it that this gets done. Well, that's what the author of Hebrews is doing. He's saying, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What does that mean? Well, I think that if you keep reading, you actually get uh, a little bit more of a definition. You have to consider all that he said before, but you also need to just keep reading and listen to what he says. He actually gives a scenario an example of someone who didn't obtain, who failed to obtain the grace of God. And in, in the Old Testament, he gives us the, the example of Esau. So look at, let, continue to read verses 16 and 17. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. When I read this passage, I see, um, as I hear the exhortation to see to it or to oversee, and I'm thinking about Esau, I'm thinking about how he threw away his birthright, and it's such a sad story, if you really think about it. Think about how sad this is. And what he's doing is he's, he's putting this picture in our minds of that, what if this, were to, this kind of a thing were to happen to somebody right next to you or in your Bible study or, or in your life or, or in your family or, or in your church? And he's like, take it upon yourself to watch out for this scenario of someone having a similar end 
as Esau. So when it says that uh, no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by a minute many become defiled, I've always read that as just like um, bitterness in your heart and unforgiveness in your heart, which is, it's true that that is like poison, but um, you have to remember that these are Hebrews, and sometimes there are references in this book that we don't quite grasp, and so um, I found it interesting that Deuteronomy 29, if you want to turn there, Deuteronomy chapter 29 talks about a bitter root, and it refers to a, a person or a group of people that, um, that the Israelites are told to watch out for. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, and we'll read real quick verses 16 through 19. He says, you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed, and you've seen their detestable things, their idols of wood and stone, of silver and gold, which were among them. Beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Beware lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit, one who, when he hears the words of this sworn covenant, blesses himself in his heart, saying, I shall be safe, though I walk in the stubbornness of my heart. What is it talking about? It's talking about being delivered from the idolaters of Egypt and then, then you get all the way to this point of freedom, and your heart is still in Egypt. And you think, well, I think it would be better if I go back. I think going back to where I was rather than in Christ would, would be better. Does that sound familiar? This, this whole book of Hebrews, isn't that pretty much what these Hebrews are doing? Isn't that what the author is really trying to get at? Like, don't go back to Judaism. Don't, don't do that, you guys. Jesus is better. And so he's, he's basically, he's not saying something new. He's actually just rephrasing it and saying the same thing he's actually been saying. So I, I think that, that actually Esau is an example of that bitter root. I think he says, watch out for this. And then he's like, all right, here's a story of a real guy that you guys know very well and gives them a, an example. Esau's an interesting guy, though. He actually wasn't a terrible guy. He was, he was a normal guy. Um, actually, from Esau's dad's perspective, he was the more promising one. When he looked at his two sons, the, the twin sons, Jacob and Esau, he, he saw Esau as like the one that he kind of like had that fatherly pride about. Uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 25. We're going to see real quick. Um, just kind of get familiar, a little bit more familiar with this story. Genesis chapter 25, let's we'll start in verse 27. Genesis 25. Verse 27, it says, When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. 
Isn't that an interesting comparison? Like, which one do you want to be? I mean, I, when I read that, I'm like, yeah, I want to be the skillful hunter, the, the one who's like the, the warrior and skilled with, with, with weapons. I don't want to be the, the quiet man who dwells in tents. Like, who wants to be that? But, but listen, God has a different perspective here, very different. But that's what Esau's father, Isaac, was doing when he, when he looked at the two boys. It says that in verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So, all right, so from, uh, from Isaac's perspective, he saw Esau. He saw Esau by the seashore. I actually thought that through, like, I'm just going to try to not say those two words together, but just, it's going to happen. Um, so, yeah, he, he was the heroic, heroic figure. He was the man's man. He was, he, was, um, he was the warrior, and Jacob was the mama's boy, the homebody, the one who liked to stay in the kitchen and cook with mom. Um, but God's perspective was that when he saw, and we know God's perspective because he tells us in our passage right here, he says that he was unholy. That Esau was unholy. Well, what does that mean? Well, another translation might say profane. Really, all that means is you take the, th- the holy things of God and you just consider them to be worthless. They don't matter. It, it's the things that... that, that um, that I'm doing, like my, uh, all the little things in my life, all those things are the important things. And, and when God expresses to me his priorities, it's like, eh, I don't, I don't believe you. So Esau then, stay in verse, or, sorry, um, uh, Genesis chapter 25, stay there if you Lost it, go back. <laughs> uh, so we'll see how uh, Esau actually threw away his birthright. Verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom, Edom just means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is a birthright to me? This is so interesting. Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Super interesting. How is it that he despised his birthright? Well, he, he considered, I think, I think he considered himself to be a very able man. He thought, well, <clears throat> I don't need a birthright. I can provide for myself. The birthright was a double portion for the firstborn. He was the firstborn. And he probably thought to himself, who cares? I can create, I can recreate all the riches based on my own abilities to replace that birthright, I don't need it. What I really want right now is just a bowl of soup. Could I just have a bowl of soup? Because none of that really matters to me. So he took what was holy and he considered it worthless. 
His immediate appetites ruled him. <clears throat> his impulses ruled him. He's he was used to getting what he wanted when he wanted it. And when you look at uh, verse 17, you're reminded of the sadness of his story. Let's read it again. It says in, back in um, Hebrews, back in Hebrews, verse 17, it says, For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. First of all, he, uh, to clarify, he wasn't seeking um, repentance with tears. He was seeking the inheritance after it was too late. He was seeking the blessing after it was too late. He wanted that blessing so bad, and he, he was too busy just with his squandering away his time and considering it all to be worthless until it was too late. So um, I see two things with what the author's doing in verse 17. He, number one, I think what he's drawing out and what, what the connection that he's making is that we as Christians have a birthright. We have this idea of inheritance and, and the promises that we have in Christ, which is basically what the author of Hebrews has been reminding us of. And I think he's kind of uh, paralleling the fact that we have a birthright. You know that Jesus, Jesus is uh, the firstborn of a new creation. Think about his double portion. And if we're in Christ, we now have his birthright. So we have a birthright, we have an inheritance, we have this expectation of, of these, this grace of God to receive and, and obtain. And so what do you think the author's doing here in Hebrews? He's going, you guys, you guys have a hope, you guys have an inheritance, you have a birthright, don't throw it away, don't squander it like Esau did. I think that's what he's doing. And I think he knows, as we tie it to weariness, because this is, this is who he's talking to. He's talking to weary Christians. And what do we do when we're weary? And when we're weary, and when we're discouraged, and when we're ready to give up, what do we do? We settle. We see what's in front of us, and we really only focus on our what? We can touch and taste and smell and we console ourselves with it. It's natural. It's what we do. But I think the author, what he's trying to do is, he's saying, look at Esau, you guys. Don't take your weariness and, and just fill up your senses and, and try to comfort yourself. Because what's going to happen? You're going to, think about, okay, think about the bowl of stew. Okay, there was nothing immoral about the stew. There was nothing immoral about the soup but it's what he traded it for. So over time, there was a process where Esau saw and thought about his appetites and his impulses, and he got in this habit of like, I'm just gonna give myself what, what I want right now because, because that's what my senses um, are, are and my desires are leading me to do. And what happens? After a while, you actually become a slave to it. 
because you just keep on feeding those immediate appetites. And I think that is why he brings up sexual immorality, because that's one way that that, that is, uh, that's the fruit, one of the fruits of that kind of a mentality. But the unholiness or the pr- profane aspect is that you're just, you're just, you're just thinking about the immediate, and you're, and you're like, man, this is just this, this soup and this, these, these dopamine hits of social media or whatever. They're, this is just better right now because this is just what I need right now. And all of that promises of God stuff, all that gospel that I need to believe in order to run is just set aside. I'll get to that later. And you ended up just kicking the ball down the field instead of really picking it up and really intentionally believing the promises that are for us. So faith racers reach in and pull others out and, and, and find people in this condition. Guys, we're, we're all going to hit this. I've been here several times, but you know what I need? I need you. I need you to, to reach in and pull me out, to make me snap out of it. Ryan, wake up. It's like it, I picture a scenario of someone with a VR headset and headphones on in a house that's burning down. And they just don't see it and they don't realize the alarm because all of their senses are occupied. I need you and we need one another to... Go, snap out of it. Look at these promises. Look at the gospel. Believe what we have. Remember our birthright. We need these constant reminders. We need this good news. Let's consider again the joy that is put before us in this passage. There's two things that he mentions super quick. And if, we, it, and if we don't pay attention, we're going to miss it. Two things he mentions. One is to see the Lord. He talks about not, not, not seeing the Lord without holiness. Okay, seeing the Lord. And the other one is the grace of God. Because he mentions in the negative sense that you may not fail to obtain the grace of God. Now think about that. Those are two pieces of good news. Those are two parts of our birthright, our inheritance, what we expect the, to when we finish the race, what are we going to receive? We're going to receive the grace of God, obtain the grace of God in its fullness. And we're going to see him. We need to be reminded of this reality. We're going to see him, guys. Soon, it'll, that all of this stuff that makes us weary and tired and makes us want to give up, it's going to be in the past going to be forgotten and seeing the Lord and receiving his grace. This is gospel power, you guys. Is it good or what? I mean, this this power this is powerful to lift us and to and to get us up and running again. It's powerful to create peace where there's brokenness in relationships. It's powerful to to um to delay gratification. <laughs> As small as that seems, it's, it's, it's super important to believe the gospel for that. It's powerful to get us to the finish line. It's powerful to create endurance in us and to help one another to consider, all right, my brother and my sister next to me, what is it going to take for you to run well? 
The gospel is that Jesus reached down and pulled us up. The gospel is that Jesus reached out to pull us in and reconciled us with the Father and made peace with us. And the gospel is that Jesus reached in to rescue us from destruction. This is gospel power to endure and basic training on what it means to run. And our confidence is not in ourselves. Amen? I'm going to finish by reading you the lyrics to one of my favorite songs. It's called On That Day. Verse 1. I believe in Christ, risen from the dead. He now reigns victorious. His kingdom knows no end. Through his resurrection, death has lost its hold. I know on that final day I'll rise as Jesus rose. Verse 2. What a blessed hope. Though now tired and worn, we will spend eternity around our Savior's throne. Though we grieve our losses, we grieve not in vain, for we know our crown of glory waits beyond the grave. The chorus. On that day, we will see you shining brighter than the sun. On that day, we will know you as we lift our voice as one. Till that day, we will praise you for your never-ending grace, and we will keep on singing on that glorious day. Let's close in prayer. What good news we have to believe today. I pray again, God, that your people would be strengthened, that you would put endurance in them through all of this good news. God, would you take all of what I said and all of what your spirit taught that goes just far beyond what I can even explain or say and that you would minister to your people as we move into a time of taking communion together, um, just to consider your body, your broken body and your shed blood and pray that it would just, this would continue to just saturate ourselves in the good news, to enjoy you and enjoy fellowship with you during this time. And as we go into a time of um, prayer, God, that you would stir your people to reach out to one another, to, to rescue one another, to, to preach good news to one another, to encourage. And I just pray that... Um, you would send us off rejoicing. And may the world see that um, you are our confidence. You are our peace. And you are our strength. In Jesus' name, amen.